Amen. The Lord is indeed a refuge to His people. He indeed provides His righteousness to His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's remember that. Well, let's take our Bibles and let's open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. And as you're turning there, I was reminded of a, um, a story of when a reporter asked George H. Bush, former president of the United States of America, an amazing question at the end of his life. They said, Mr. President, what have you learned about all that you've seen in life? What sticks out to you? You've seen so much. You've done so much. You've been a part of so much history. What sticks out to you? And he responded with two words, it's quick. That's true. I was uh, in high school when I first read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. How many of you have read it? It's an amazing, amazing book, and he starts at the very beginning in chapter 1 with this story of his father's ministry. John Piper's dad was an evangelist. He would go uh, city to city with crusades uh, just sharing the gospel. And Piper says as a boy, he, he accompanied his father on one of these crusades where his dad was sharing the gospel. And at the end of one of these crusades, a, a gray-headed man came to Christ. Amazing, wonderful. A man came to Christ in his old age, and at the end of the crusade, the crusade was over, many people began to go home. He noticed that that same old man was sort of left at the altar, and he was just praying, and he was crying and weeping uncontrollably. And the leaders went up to check on him, and uh, he just kept saying the same phrase over and over and over again, I've wasted it. I've wasted my life. Now, there's two sides of this. On the one hand, praise God, here's someone who came to Christ at an old age, but on the other side of that, he realizes that he's been given one life. He's had one chance, and he's got to the end of his life, and time is running out. And Piper said that that image was burned in, as a boy. It was burned into his mind's eye. I don't want to waste my life. I get one shot. I get one chance to invest in the right things. I don't want to waste it. That's the danger that all of us come to this sermon with. So many of us tend to, to waste our lives. Life is quick, and it sort of sneaks up on us. It, it's like you and I, we need to carefully consider the things that we're going to spend our time on, the, t the things that we're going to spend our days on. We need to consider those things that will count forever, those things that are eternal investments. But our problem is, as the people of God, we're not often laser-focused on the things that matter. That's our problem. We're distracted. We get distracted by sports. We get distracted by a career. We get distracted by a hobby. And before you know it, poof, life is over. All of us are in danger of that day realizing that we invested in the wrong things. And I got to tell you, as your pastor, I, I don't want any of you to get to that day and stand before the Lord and realize that you wasted your life. I'm so passionate about this. I want you to, I want you to stand before the Lord, and I want you to hear those, those wonderful, beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? 
don't want you to waste your life fighting. I don't want you to waste your life complaining. I don't want you to waste your life on hobbies. I don't want you to waste your life on things that don't matter. So today, if you're just joining us, we want to welcome you to Central Church. (laughs) We're in a series entitled, It's Always Too Soon to Quit. That's quite an introduction, though. Paul is giving us encouragement to keep going. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, I, I think this is important for all of us because at some point in life, all of us, every one of us, consider throwing in the towel. Maybe it's with a job, maybe it's with a relationship, maybe it's in marriage, maybe it's in, in some form of your life or ministry, and we've all had that desire. But God has also given us this desire to make our life count. And so far, we've seen three means of endurance, gospel-fueled endurance. In the first week, we looked at a father's influence on a son, a father's voice to a son. Do you remember this? That, that the way that God has allowed us to sort of keep going is that he uses his people to encourage his people. Do you remember that? It's that a father, every one of us needs a Paul, every one of us needs a Timothy, someone to come alongside us, someone that we come alongside, and we sort of encourage them. We whisper into their ear, let's go, let's take the hill, we can do it. And then in week two, we saw that we also need to pick up this unashamed attitude, this attitude where I don't care what man thinks about me, I care what God thinks about me. I'm not looking for man's smile of approval, I'm looking for the hidden smile of God. And we need to live without apology. And then last week, we looked at our security. Our security, that when you know how secure you are in Christ, you can risk everything for Christ. Say it again. When you know how secure you are in Christ, you can risk everything for Christ. These are the means that keep us going. Today, I want to look at the last last section of chapter 1, the final way to keep going. This is the whole sermon right here. Don't waste your life invest your life. Don't waste your life. Invest your life. I want to help you invest your life in those investments that are forever, eternal. So let's take our Bible. Let's stand. In honor of God's Word, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 13 through 18. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know the service he rendered at Ephesus. In this passage, I want to show you today two things to invest in, two things that would endure forever, two things to use your time, your faculties, your energy, two things to truly invest in that would have an eternal impact. And if you did this, You would not waste your life. So may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's receive it with joy. You may be seated. I have this poem that hangs in my office. It goes like this. Only one life 
will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's exactly right. You and I need an eternal perspective on the things that last. And expanding on that, I think the Bible tells us that there's only two things that last forever. Only two things last forever. The first one is the Word of God. Two things in this physical realm, in this life that lasts forever, the Word of God. Isaiah 40 says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord, what is it? Abides forever. That's exactly right. God's Word is eternal. This is a great investment for your life. The second thing that abides forever, the second thing that lasts forever is the human soul. It's a person. It's people. Matthew 25, 26 tells us that the righteous will go on and on and on and on into eternal life. The unrighteous will go on into eternal punishment. The only thing that you and I can take with us into eternity are human souls. It's the investment that we make in other people. So today I want to look at these two worthy investments for the rest of your life. That's the whole sermon, the Word of God and people. Let's look at the Word of God first. Notice two imperative commands for this first point. You and I ought to treasure the Word of God. Verse 13 and verse 14 show that. Two imperatives. The first one is follow the pattern of sound words. Follow the pattern of sound words. The second one is in verse 15, guard the good deposit. We're going to look at both of those. The first one is follow sound words. The word follow here, it's the idea that you're to cling to the word of God. You are to keep these sound words in your grasp. You're to cling to them. As a staff and as elders, we're working through our core values as a church. We're developing a mission statement. We're trying to decide what the core values of Central will be. The first one in all the meetings that we've had, we've had about four meetings so far between staff and elders. And the first one that, that we're all sort of in agreement on is that the Bible is central. The Bible is central. We're going to cling to the Word of God. Notice how Paul describes it. He calls it the pattern. Now what this is, imagine this wall right over here. Imagine that an artist came in and was about to, to paint a mural on this wall. The word here for the pattern is what an artist would do. He would take a piece of coal, charcoal, he'd sort of sketch the, the uh, out side of the image. He would sketch the people. He would sketch the image. And then what would happen is maybe a less talented artist would come along and they would paint within the lines. That's our word. What he is saying is stay within the lines. Receive the word of God and stay within the lines. I've sketched it. Now don't go outside the lines. In other words, you and I need to care greatly about truth. I'm going to go a little bit further. This may be a little controversial. You need to care about doctrine. You need to care about doctrine. Now, some of you, it made maybe, maybe it made, when I said that, it made the hair on the back of your neck sort of stand up uh, because maybe you've been a part of a system that, that kind of downplays doctrine. Maybe it treats doctrine like a, a curse word. Churches will even say things. We don't want doctrine. Doctrine just divides, and, and I find that uh, upsetting. When, uh, you know, churches say things like that, I would agree to some point doctrine does divide. It divides truth from error, right from wrong. Those churches generally 
in the name of love, almost anything goes in those churches who take that point of view. But we're called to embrace true doctrine. We're called to embrace staying within the lines. Notice why. He calls these these words, he calls the Word of God sound words. Do you see that in your text, sound words? That's actually a very interesting Greek word. It's the word for health. It's the word for healthy words. It comes from our, our word, hygienic. These are hygienic words. These are healthy words. These are words that promote health. It's the same word that was used of Jesus when he healed people. It's healing words. When you neglect healthy words, what will happen is you will inevitably become weak and sick. How many of you uh, caught the Oscars this week? Good. No hands went up. Amen. I'm with you. I don't really, I don't really tune into that. Uh, because I don't need to, to be, uh, I don't know, I feel, like, I feel like I'm being shamed by hypocrites to some point or another. And um, I didn't really watch the Oscars either. But I'll tell you what, I, I did see in the news that there was a strange moment when one of the actors got up and sort of shamed America for drinking milk with their coffee and their cereal. Did you, did you hear about this? Very strange. I had an extra amount of milk in my coffee this morning just to be in rebellion. But I kind of had to laugh at that because the, uh, the milk companies got after that actor. They were very upset about this. And, uh, you know, it reminded me back in around 2002, 2003, there was that, there was that program. It was called, uh, those commercials called Got Milk. How many of you remember those? See, that came out of an issue in California when the consumption of milk went down by 3%. And they started this advertising campaign, Got Milk to bring it back up, and it rose by 7%. We studied it in business school. Very fascinating, fascinating uh, advertising campaign. But I remember one of those commercials that stuck out to me. Uh, It was one where there was this family sitting around a breakfast table, and their mom says, kids, be sure to drink all your milk. And the kids complain, I don't want to. Milk is for babies. And the mom says, well, I happen to know that, that milk builds strong bones, so drink up. And then one of the kids points to the neighbor and says, well, Mr. Miller told me he never drinks milk. And look at him. And at that moment, Mr. Miller lifts up on the wheelbarrow and his arms pop off. And, uh, and, and the, the, this is hilarious. It ends with the whole family just guzzling milk. And uh, then those great two words, got milk. And uh, it was a great commercial. And I thought to myself, why don't we have commercials like that at the Super Bowl anymore? Amen? Come on. <laughs> but don't miss the point. First uh, Peter 2.2, write it down. First Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation. What this is saying is that the Word of God, these are vital words. These are words that bring about health and strength and growth. It's vital to your growth. It's vital to you continuing. You ought to treasure the gospel. You ought to treasure the scriptures. They're so practical. And I want to just, I just want to say this pastorally to you. It's practical for wherever you're at. If you're facing cancer, you need to be in the Word of God. If you're facing a divorce, you need to be in the Word of God. If you're facing separation, if you're facing a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, this is God's means of grace for endurance. 
It's the Word of God. Notice how we're to follow in these sound words. Notice it says in verse 13, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Two things to follow in healthy words, faith and love. Faith comes first. In other words, when you open your Bible, when you start to dive into God's Word for His strength to carry on, you ought to do it in faith. You ought to believe as you read it that God is doing something in you, that God is changing something in you. That the Word of God will not return void. I love that story of the young preacher who comes to Charles Spurgeon and says, Mr. Spurgeon, when I preach, nobody gets saved. What's wrong? What's the problem? Spurgeon said, when you preach, do you believe that people will get saved? Do you have confidence that the God of heaven and earth will be at work to save? The young preacher said, no. I have little faith. Almost no faith that anyone in my church will be saved. Spurgeon said, that's why no one's being saved. And then he quoted this verse, you are not retaining the standard of sound words with faith and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's right. When you and I come to the Word of God, we need to enter into it with expectant eyes. When you and I come here on a Sunday morning, you and I need to come here with expectant eyes that God will save someone, that God will change someone, that God will change you, that he'll change our affections. Notice the gospel atmosphere also has love. Our treasuring of the word is supposed to be drenched in, in love. You see, the problem that we face today is that we can often cling to doctrine, we can often cling to truth, but we can do it in an unloving way. You can come off looking like a jerk. I knew this guy once, and he was one of those keyboard warriors on Facebook. He would get on Facebook and have all these fights with people and just argue his point. You know the kind of guy he is. And he would come to me, and he would say, Hey, Pastor, what'd you think about that argument? I really got that guy, didn't I? And I said, You know, you may not be heretical in your doctrine, but you have a heresy of spirit. You're not delivering the word in love. That's how we treasure the word. This is a thought for us this morning. Every problem that every church, including Central Church, has ever faced is, goes back to a lack of love. Every single problem. Why do, how can I say that? Well, Colossians 3.14 says that love is the bond of peace. How do we have peace in this place? We love. We hold fast to truth, but we hold fast to truth in love. 2 Timothy 2 tells us that the Lord's servant must be gentle. He must be kind. Let's not forget this element of holding to truth, that we have to do it in love. Notice also we guard, guard the truth from threats. Certainly we follow it. The second imperative is that we guard it. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What he's saying here is that the Word of God will always be under attack, and the people of God need to be prepared to guard it. It's been this way from the very beginning. In the garden, Satan came after the Word of God. Remember his line? Has the Lord really said? He calls into question God's Word. That's still happening today. Has God really said that you must repent and be born again? Has God really said that pornography is outside of the lines? 
Has God really said these things? He's calling into question the truth of God, and we have to guard it. We guard His Word so that we can pass it on to the next generation without error. Notice that guarding requires discernment. Look at verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How do we guard it? By the Holy Spirit's power. Praise God we don't do this alone. Romans 8, 9 says that, that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit who helps us discern between truth and between error. Notice something interesting in verse 15. Look in your text. It says in verse 15, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. How would you like that? Your name appearing in the eternal word of God. That's pretty sad. That's, that's pretty tragic. Paul's not ashamed to name names here. Paul is not ashamed to name names. He knows that the role of a shepherd is certainly to feed the sheep, but also to point out areas of danger, to point out dangerous people. Why is he doing this? He does it throughout the letter, doesn't he? Did you notice? I hope you'll take some time this week and you'll read the whole letter from beginning to end. But in every chapter, every single chapter, there's at least two names that are mentioned that he names names. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Every chapter has two names. He names people. Now, we sort of look down on this one. It's sort of unpopular. It might even be called out as unloving, but I want to say it's shepherding. A good shepherd will mark the dangers to the sheep. That's what Paul is doing. Love points out those people who color outside of the lines. And Paul knows that it's unloving that his people would remain unwarned of a false gospel or a twisted word. He knows that will spread disease to the body. He knows that that will actually send people to hell if it's a false gospel. That's not love. He loves the church enough to name threats to the gospel. One of the more interesting questions that I had when I interviewed for this job, someone, someone asked me before I came here, uh, who are the artists you like to listen to? And I, I don't know how, but it got to, do you enjoy rap? Who's your favorite rap artist? <laughs> and uh, I, I don't really get into rap, but uh, uh, I didn't even know quite how to answer that. But one of them, uh, someone actually sent me a song, and it wasn't someone from this church, but they sent me a song from a guy named Shy Lin. Does anyone know who that is? No. Okay. So I'm not that familiar with that world either. But apparently he's a very popular rapper, and he sent me a song entitled False Teachers. And this guy, in his rap music, basically lays it out and starts naming the various false teachers of our day. He does what this passage does. He names names. He's just naming them one after another. Benny Hinn, false teacher. Robert Tilton, false teacher. Creflo Dollar, false teacher. And he just goes one by one by one and names names. And on the one hand, that might be seen as unloving. But on the other hand, I think it's scriptural for a shepherd to point out the dangerous teaching that's abroad across the United States. To show the people who are coloring outside the lines. 
Not every teacher is a teacher sent by God. And we need to, to, to cling to the ones who, who color inside the lines. And we need to treasure the gospel in that way. So, that's point one. We need to treasure the gospel. <laughs> it includes following and defending. We need to treasure the gospel. What's your game plan for doing that? How are you this week going to get serious about taking in the Word of God? You know, for me, I, I struggled with this as a young man when uh, Caleb was just a little guy and he could finally sit around the table. I wanted to work something up in my family so that we would have this pattern of daily, all together, sitting under the Word of God. And uh, whenever I would just start that process, I used to have to sit, literally sit a Bible out on the dinner table to be reminded to pick it up and read it over my family. And that became a pattern so that we'd try not to let a day pass where we don't open the Word of God and we read it together as a family. How are you going to take in and treasure the Word of God? That's what you need to be thinking about. For some of you, you're not in God's Word daily. You need to repent of that. You need to start a new process, really. And you might even be saying, well, I'm not that much of a reader. I don't like reading. Really, today, there's no excuse for that. You can literally pull out your phone, download an app, and you can literally press play on an app and listen to the Bible in the voice of James Earl Jones. I mean, it's incredible. You could literally get out of bed, start the app playing, listen to the Bible while you're in the shower, and sort of shadow box the devil. You can literally wake up and start your day with God's Word, even if you don't like reading. But this is practical. How will we keep going? How will we continue on? We will do it as we cling to God's Word, and God's Word changes us and makes us into the image of Christ. That's what we need. You and I have to start taking in God's Word and reading it with faith and delivering it with love and guarding it from those who would distort it and delete it. We have to treasure the Word of God. Number two, before I give you the second point, there's a great story. I think we have time for it, so I'm going to go for it. Hugh Latimer was preaching... uh, uh, it, it, to Henry VIII. Hugh Latimer was this great fiery preacher of his day back in the 1500s, and he was preaching in front of one of the most, the, one of the most important and powerful men in the world, Henry VIII. And he preached this sermon, and Henry VIII was enraged. He called Henry VIII to repent. It was powerful. It was convicting. And the king was so upset that he said, Hugh Latimer, I want him to come back and, and preach before me next Sunday. I want him to do it again, but I want him to apologize before he gives his sermon. I want him to apologize for the word he gave. So Hugh Latimer came back the next week, and he started preaching. But he did something interesting. This bold preacher stood up, and he started preaching to himself. He said this, Hugh Latimer, do you not know before whom you are this day to speak? To the high and holy, or to the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if you offend him. Therefore, take heed that you speak not a word that may displease. But then consider well, Hugh, you do not know from where you came, upon whose message that you are sent, even by the great and mighty God who is all present, who beholds all your ways and who is able to cast your soul into hell. Therefore, take care that you deliver your message faithfully. 
And the story goes, he went on to preach the exact same sermon as the previous week, (laughs) except with more fire in his bones. That's the kind of man I want to be. It's the kind of man I want you to be, this kind of woman I want you to be, the kind of person that clings to God's Word. That's what's going to help us endure. Number two, we also need to support the workers of God. Remember, it's all about the Word and people. Those are the two investments that would last forever. We need to support the fellow workers of God, the Word and people. Verse 16 shows us what it looks like to invest in people. It says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. What a massive contrast. What a massive contrast, this man, between those other two dogs that deserted Paul. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament this name will appear. This is all we know. You you ready? How much do we, I'm going to tell you everything we know about Onesephorus. You ready? Nothing. We know nothing about this guy. This is it. He was faithful. By the way, if you're having kids in the near future, this would be a great biblical name. Uh, Onesephorus just kind of rolls off the tongue. Uh, You could call him Nessie for short. Uh, I love this guy. This is one of my favorite characters. And yeah, some of you are so excited to meet David. I talked about this the other night at our, at our gathering. Uh, some of you are excited to meet David. Some of you are excited to meet Joshua. Some of you are excited to meet Paul. Like, when I get to heaven, I want to saddle up next to this guy and be like, bro, you made the book. Like, you made it. And he's going to be like, I know. I was just there encouraging Paul, and he put me in. It's unbelievable. Look at three things about this man. Write them down. Three things to invest in people. He was a respecting friend. We need to be a respecting friend. Verse 16 says, He was not ashamed of my chains. To this man, the Apostle Paul was a hero. He was someone doing the Lord's work, someone worthy of honor. He respected Paul. He was ready to die with Paul. He loved this man. We need to be that way towards each other. We need to be a Romans 12 kind of people. Just try to outdo one another and showing honor to one another. Can you imagine what this place would be like if, if we sort of dropped all the pride and we increased all the, the honor, how we would just make it our ambition to just honor one another, to just pour out honor to one another? Can you imagine the atmosphere it would create in this place? Can you imagine what our city would think about us if they just saw us trying to all the time outdo one another and showing honor to one another? That would be so powerful. Oh, friends, it would would create this gospel aroma to a dying world that would attract them to Christ when they see how we love each other. So powerful. Second, We need to be a reaching friend. Yes, a respecting friend, but also a reaching friend. Verse 17 says, But when he arrived in Rome and searched for me earnestly and found me, this was someone who had a mission. This was someone who was out to find his brother. Now, let me give you some context. The Greek here is very intensive. It means he intentionally sought. 
Paul's first imprisonment in Acts 28 was uh, under house arrest. He would have been pretty easy to find. This imprisonment, he's basically in a hole in the ground. And, And let me say this, there's probably an awful lot of danger associated with searching for Paul. Like, I mean, can you imagine this? You go around to the offices and you, you start asking for the Apostle Paul, right? You start asking, hey, I'd like to, to find uh, Saul of Tarsus, Paul. I'd like to find him. And, and you start asking questions about this guy on death row. And people will start asking you, why do you want to know him? Who are you to him? Do you believe what he believes? Are you one of his followers? He was putting his life at risk. He was a reaching friend. When everyone else ran away, this was a man who ran towards Paul, exposed himself to risk. Great investment that you would pursue people to meet with and encourage them. Great investment. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if, I'm going to put out a challenge to you. Wouldn't it be great if before you left this room, God put someone on your heart to pursue this week and encourage them in the gospel, and you say, I just want to go and take you out to breakfast, and I want to speak some truth over you, and I want to encourage you to keep going. Wouldn't it be great if all of us did that before we left today? That's what the church is for. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we're to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. I dare you. I double dog dare you to do that before you leave. That's an encouraging friend. Be a reaching friend. Third, and lastly, we'll close with this. For the Apostle Paul, Onesephorus was a refreshing friend. He was a refreshing friend. This is his only epitaph. This is all that the Bible has to say about him. He often refreshed me. That word there means to cool down. It's uh, in the blazing Memphis heat of summer, You go into a nice, cool movie theater. Amen? Get cooled down. Jump into some nice, cold water. That's the idea. He cooled me down. Is that who you are towards other Christians? This is a great investment. This is an investment that would last forever. Paul was able to keep going because he had someone who was not like a wet towel to his ministry. He, was, he, he didn't have friends around him that were constantly criticizing him. He had a friend that was near to him, honoring him, loving him, pursuing him, refreshing him. You could do that. Yeah, you could do that. You could do that in our men's ministry. We have a meeting March 8th. You could gather with other men. Ladies, same night. You could gather in this place, find someone to link up with and refresh their soul. Wouldn't that be powerful? It's the grace that God uses to keep us going. God uses his people to encourage his people. God uses his people to encourage his people. General Westmoreland was reviewing a a platoon of paratroopers in Vietnam He went down the line, and he would ask each of them a question. Paratroopers, how do you like jumping, son? One paratrooper would reply, I love it, sir. It's the greatest privilege of my life. Love jumping. He'd ask another one, how do you like jumping, young man? Love it, sir. It's the greatest thrill I've ever known. Love it. He'd ask the third one, how do you like jumping, soldier? I hate it, sir. You hate it? Yes, I hate it. 
then why do you do it? He said, because I love to be around the guys who love to jump. <laughs> this guy knew the power of friends that were refreshing. We need to be those kind of people for each other. Who are you going to leave and invest in this week? What a great way to invest your life, people. May the Lord put this in your heart. Maybe it's as simple as writing someone an encouraging note. Maybe it's going and finding out who our missionaries are and investing and writing someone in that foreign field. Maybe it's as simple as reaching out. I just got the privilege this week of going out to Calvary Rescue Mission and seeing that great place. And maybe it's as simple as encouraging those guys, encouraging a pastor, encouraging someone. We need to be the type of people that refresh those who do God's work. Notice verse 18, and we're done. It says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. There's a reward for the type of people who enter into these investments. Those are the investments that receive a reward. May he find mercy. You know, it's even thought that maybe Onesephorus had died. Maybe he even died pursuing Paul. Maybe he's no longer on the scenes. Commentators are kind of split on that. But this is a man who would see a reward for his investment. Paul, if you read his ministry, Paul never feared death. What he feared was a wasted life. And he knew that Investing in people and investing in the gospel, that wasn't a wasted life. We're done. As we close, I want to uh, share a story that a pastor, Stephen Cole, shared a while back. He tells a story about a small blue box stored in a safe place in the Library of Congress. The label reads this. It says, The contents of the president's pockets on the night of April 14th, 1865. Now, if you know your history, you know that was the night of Lincoln's assassination. Probably know that was the fateful night. The box contains five things. Listen to this. Number one, a handkerchief embroidered A. Lincoln. Two, a country boy's pen knife. Three, a spectacles case repaired with string. Four, a purse containing $5 bills in Confederate money. And five, some old worn-out newspaper clippings. The clippings were concerned with the great deeds of Abraham Lincoln. One of them, listen to this, one of them records a speech by John Bright, a British statesman, saying that Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men of all time. He's carrying that around in his pocket. It's a great image. Can you imagine the President of the United States up late at night in the White House over a candlelight, pulling out these little clippings? How pathetic this, this scene is. But he's sitting here reading these statements by someone who thinks he's great. Now, now we know that Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest presidents of all. We know that. But you have to remember, at the time, the court was still out. The nation was divided. Uh, they, they were running all sorts of headlines in the newspaper that this was an ape-like buffoon of a president. How encouraging it was that he had someone in his life pushing him forward. You need that. That's an investment worth making, and that's how you won't waste your life. Paul never feared death. 
He feared showing up at the judgment seat of Christ, having wasted his life. Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Life is short. Only two things last forever. I pray that this sermon serves to focus you today. We need to be focused on the Word of God. We also need to be focused on people. What's God asking you to do? Maybe for some of you, you realize that the Lord is speaking to you today that you're not treasuring the Word of God as you should. You're not reading it. You're not memorizing it. You're not hiding it in your heart. You're not being changed by it. You're not reading it with expectation. You're not guarding it. Today, would you make that commitment to change? This week, would you take up God's Word? Would you download an app? Would you do something new that the Word of God would come into your life and change you? That's a great investment. Or maybe for others of you, God's calling you to be an Onesiphorus, someone that helps and supports other believers. Has God put someone in your mind right now? Would you pursue that person today? Would you say a kind word, an encouraging word before we leave? Or maybe before you leave, we've read verse 18, and it just reminds you of that day, that the day is coming, one day, when all of us will face the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us will be called to give an account. And I just want to ask you before we quit today, are you ready for that day? Friends, could that not be the very reason you're in this room today? Maybe for some of you, because you're not in Christ, you're not a believer. And God has you here to hear the gospel that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins on that cross. And Jesus rose from the dead, guaranteeing that that sacrifice was accepted by God. And that if you would believe in him, you'd gain the gift of everlasting life. Won't you do that today? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you to respond. Maybe do something different today. If you just need to sit there and pray, great. If you need to come up to the front and pray, we want to open that up for you. If you want to get on your knees right where you're at, praise God. If you're able to do that, great, do it. But ask the Lord to change you. Let's do that together now. Father, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you. Father, we know that that your gospel is powerful. It is a treasure. We want to cling to it. We want to hold fast to it. Would you give us the grace to do these things? Give us the grace to be an Anisiphorus to someone else, a servant, a supporting servant to someone else to refresh each other. But let us also be refreshed in your word. Father, as we sing this next song, I pray you'd help us to respond in faith to what the Spirit of God is doing in each of our hearts. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.